0: Welcome to the Observed podcast. Today I'm going to be talking with Chloe a sensory support worker here in Bristol. We're just going to have a, a good chinwag about life in general, how to connect with the deaf community, the issues of cancel culture and ways that we can build the soul up by being in our environment and looking at tarot cards and rune stones. Also, You get to hear a welfare benefit advisor admit that he doesn't like reading regulation books. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Hey, Chloe, welcome to the Observe podcast. Please, you could come along. How's your your day been so far?
1: Uh, My day's been okay. It's been a bit stressful. Um, Okay. I had to go into work, um, but today's meant to be my day off. Um, Right. Oh, well,
0: that's pretty hefty, isn't it? Yeah, I was
1: covering for someone else. Um, But it was good. It went well. Um, Good. I'm pleased it's out of the way. I'm back at home, uh, continuing my day off, so that's nice.
0: (laughs) Cool. Well, I mean, it's a bit of a sacrifice having to kind of be called up on things, but um, have you had any lunch? That's the important thing. Have you eaten anything?
1: Yes, I have.
0: (laughs) Good. what did you have for lunch
1: I had a sandwich from Greg's because I thought I was going to have to rush back for this <laughs> um, <laughs> normally I, I quite like to prepare my lunch um, I quite like cooking so what I do All is right. I batch cook my dinner so I'll make a massive dinner and then I'll split it into portions and take it in so, so what,
0: kind, what kind of things do you generally cook for lunch because lunch is important you see because I often find it's. I always ask people, "Have you had anything to eat?" Because blood, blood sugars and all that kind of stuff. And people, and if you're going to have a conversation with somebody, you want the blood sugar to be stable. So anyway, um, what is it? Um, you you cook for lunch, or your bat you, know, you batch uh, batch cook stuff for lunch, do you? What is it? Yeah, I
1: food? mean, I know like a lot of people have kind of sandwiches and wraps for lunch, um, but I've got a bit of a reputation for hating on sandwiches. Um, which is a shame because I don't really think there's anything wrong with a sandwich for lunch. Mm. Um, I think just because I'm used to like preparing food, hot food, and bringing it in, um, mm. that when I have to make a sandwich, it's because I haven't been prepared. Mm. Um, so I call it a sad sandwich because it's usually just <laughs> whatever I've got in my fridge, which would be right. like cheese. So that to cheese. me is a <laughs> But I don't. I don't hate on anyone who has that for their lunch. No. Um, no but yeah i do i do call it a sad sandwich
0: (laughs) so when you when you prepare food what kind of nice foods do you like to prepare for your lunch if you do get into that kind of habit because i I, it's commendable because i just can't be bothered doing any of that so what what food do you prefer prefer?
1: well i i cook anything really um i cook mostly vegetarian food actually um Mm. i'm not vegetarian but cooking meat kind of scares me <laughs> um so I tend to just be like, hang on hang on
0: why does cooking meat scare you like we need to get to the bottom of this what's that
2: about come on
1: <laughs> well I suppose like if you're frying a vegetable and you eat it and it turns out to be raw like it's not going to kill you
0: no um, well, well yeah I, I was a bit concerned if you're fr- if you're frying a bit of bacon it might oink at you I don't know it's <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah but I know what you mean it's like you don't want to poison anybody or poison yourself yeah
2: <laughs> yeah
1: and also I think I've realized recently from my partner who is just incredible at cooking meat mm. um which is great because then he just cooks all the meat for both of us and then I can carry on doing my veggie stuff all right, um, okay, Fair but he, he, yeah he's like made me realize that I overcook my meat as well I think it's just because I'm so paranoid that I'm gonna End up undercooking it, that I then overcook it, and then it's really dry. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he's taught me a lot about how meat is supposed to taste.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Fair, well, at least you've got somebody there to kind of mentor that skill set on you. You know, it's like I think. I mean, I've, I can concur with that. Um, basically, I generally burn meat quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Is that cooked Is that, I did it the other day with some burgers on the grill. It was. Um, yeah, they, became, they came out a bit chewy because I'd left them there for too long. You know, I checked, it was oh, it's a bit pink in the middle, don't like that. So when I'm in a, one of the things that, um, when I'm in a restaurant, it's always bugged me for years is um, when they ask you, how would you like your steak? Uh, and I, I get a, a bit of a panic attack with that because it's, like, how, I don't know. So how about cooking it? Let's start there. You know, it's like, so, so I, I mean, I've got a bit of an anxiety around cooking meats as well. You know, it's uh.
1: You don't <laughs> like medium rare.
0: Mm. Wow. I, I just like it cooked. Um I don't, you know, I don't want it mooing when it comes to the table, really. I, I know people that eat blue steak, if you've ever heard of such a thing, which is basically yeah, yeah, where they yeah. just it's basically where they just flash fry both sides of the steak and it's lit it's literally blood in the middle. It's um, you know, so it makes me get a bit that. So you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> Well, at least you've had something to keep your blood sugars going, even if it is the culinary delights of a Greg's butty or or pasty. Uh, They're always good to dive into. Um, For me, I think um, I've made a a brilliant relationship. There's a little Italian sandwich shop near Temple Street where the uh, council's offices are. And uh, I made a good friendship with uh, the guy there in wintertime because he was there on his own. He had no footfall, no customers. And I started to go in every day I was in the office, and he 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 bakes his own bread, and it's fresh steaks and kind of Italian vegetable type sandwiches. It's beautiful stuff. So I went to one of them. I had one of them today. So it means in the next hour or so I'll probably have a bit of a snooze (laughs) because my (laughs) carbohydrates too much, you know. So it's uh, but yeah, lovely stuff with really good gear. But yeah, so, well, at least we're nice and replete with our our lunch anyway, so we can have a good conversation. Um,
1: Definitely. I think that is one thing for me. I always think about what I'm going to do for food, what my next meal is going to be. I kind of plan my life around my meals, so you can count on me to always have eaten something beforehand.
0: (laughs) Good. That's good to know. That's really good to know. (laughs) Well, I mean, I've... um, So, like, I mean, again, thanks for coming into the podcast. Um, This is quite a debut project for me. Um, You're the first podcast interview I've ever done.
1: Um, Oh, excited. It's exciting (laughs) to be here. It's funny, when you said, like, you were looking for people to come on the podcast, I've been thinking for a while, I think I'd really like to do a podcast just because I love talking. Um, (laughs) And I love talking (laughs) to other people as well. Yeah. so, yeah, I feel like, um yeah, it's been something I've been wanting to do. So when you asked, I was like, hell yeah, let's do it.
0: Yeah, cool. That's, I, I, lo- I love the passion. I love the keenness. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> Dandy. Brilliant. So um so, so there we go. So like, I've done a bit of a running order, Um you know, so just so we can know where we're kind of going. So the first bit we, we needed to do was a bit of sparkling banter. I think we've done that. Or we've probably <laughs> just bored listeners talking about sandwiches and Gregs. I don't know. But, you know, it's up to them if they want to listen to it. Um, But um, one of the things I was going to talk to you, I wanted to talk to you about next is something that we kind of touched on in our communications before the podcast was um, your passions around your work. And um, is it BSL, sign language that you're kind of fluent in? Well, you you might want to explain what is it um, you you do for your work and um, what brought you into that world?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I think, well, it actually has been a really long journey for me because um, when I was a kid, I was part of this theatre group um, called Chicken Shed in London. Um, It's a weird name, but it's because it started in a chicken shed and it just expanded from there. Um, (laughs) But there's no chickens on site now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I started going to that, absolutely loved it. And um, it's a place for everyone. So kids, adults, um, able-bodied people, disabled people, deaf, blind, just anyone can can join and Mm. get involved. Um, And yeah, that was a really um, formative experience for me, I think in a lot of ways. Um, But the one thing that they had that I loved Mm. uh, was that they did signing in their Christmas shows.
2: Oh, right, okay.
1: Um, So I was actually exposed to sign language from when I was like six or seven Um, and it's always been a kind of I would say like a quiet passion of mine Um, like I always saw it and just thought it was amazing and beautiful Um, but I think unless you know someone who's deaf or you know you're kind of in that community somehow there's really not that many opportunities to Mm. Um, learn it and so I think it was always something in the back of my mind like even as a kid I just would love learning new signs and I'd remember like every time I learned a new sign I would remember it and um, like practice it and you know really kind of obsessive way <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so then I kind of like didn't really think that much of it especially in terms of a career like I never thought I'd end up using it in my work um But then I went to uni, um, University of Bristol, and they have, sorry, they have a sign language society there, um, which I didn't know before I applied. Um, I just kind of saw the stall at Freshers' Fair. Um, So I signed up because I was like, oh my God, like I've wanted to learn this for so long, like maybe I can actually learn it. Um, And they had classes. So I just started learning it and I was learning alongside my degree, which was sociology. Um and I found it really interesting actually the links um between, you know, because I was learning it as a language, but also really kind of interested in deaf culture. Um mm. you know, a lot of people don't realize that um if you are deaf, like there, there's this whole community and this whole culture in, in mm. the same way that um, you know, other groups don't really have that. Um and it all kind of comes down to that language and they're so proud and so um, like in awe of that language and want to protect it and it's such a huge part of the community and I just found that so interesting. Mm. Um, so then I, I yeah I learned that all, all through my degree um, and then after I finished I was like oh you know I'll just have a look at opportunities um, and I've been a support worker um, since then for two years Uh, working in the deaf community, and that's really where my fluency has come from, because it's enabled me to um, Mm. practice it in real life, which is so different to classroom learning and, um, you know, meeting loads of different deaf people with different levels of language. um, I think that's something as well that is quite different about sign language and just for a, a lot of different reasons um which I can go into if you want <laughs> but but um everyone's style is very different everyone's engagement with the language is very different and I yeah. don't think that is the same for a language like English which obviously you know there's so much documentation there's so much so many records of English mm. through time and how you know and it has evolved like languages mm. that you know they all evolve but it's a lot more kind of fixed than sign language. Um, mm. It's much more fluid, and yeah, I just find all of that so interesting. <laughs> I could talk about it like forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it is really fascinating. I mean, I, I mean, I look at uh, sign language as a as a language. I mean, I'm quite novice. I mean, I don't know sign language at all, and I'm holding my hands up to it. And I often in in our team, our welfare benefit advice team, we've got one woman uh, that specialises in uh, sensory support clients doing you know kind of disability forms and things like that so she can sign and i've had some really and i often turn to her if i and if i end up with a case where such somebody is, is deaf uh, because there is a as, i think as you just highlighted there it's for somebody to what you have to be in that culture to learn it and to kind of get practiced at it and to understand it um it's not some doing it as a hobby, like going to Spanish classes, is a bit different. You know, it's not something. It's a culture that you have to be in, and you have to, if you're if you're a non-deaf person, this is just my view. You know, you have to be passionate about it. You have to see the reasoning behind it, and it's really good to kind of hear that passion coming from you. I mean, one of the things, because I mean, with the Observed podcast, it's I, I talked about it's about kind of building resilience through mindfulness and movement. Mm-hmm. And I think I coined this phrase a long time when I started my uh, calisthetic movement classes um, and doing martial arts. And I, I always said that movement is the currency of connection. It's quite a broad term, but if we actually, I mean, and I think it kind of really falls into, you know, sign language because you're physically moving. Um, and it's, and as you say, it's, ne- it's there's a prescribed Version of it, you you do BSL, but I understand that there's different versions in America. Is that correct? Or do they have different versions yeah. of sign language in America? Yeah,
1: there's, um, there's different languages, so um, not every country has their own sign language. But it's definitely the case. You know, I think a lot of people um, have the misconception that there is one sign language, um, mm. and it's just it's just as varied as different spoken languages um Mm. over the world. So um there is ASL, which is American Sign Language, uh, BSL British, and you know there's a French Sign Language. Um and Australian is kind of it's I would say like 80% BSL, um, but it's it's considered a different language. So there's overlap. Um Mm. and you can kind of look at the history and see how the languages have evolved, you know, in a really similar way to spoken languages you know how there's the romance languages and um you know there's different language families you can see um it's the same with sign languages
0: mm, cool oh and, the, and as i think it's another thing i was going to ask you about and it's something that it's not it kind of relates to language but not a friend an old friend of mine um he was a, he's a polygot um
1: he, what does
0: got, that mean it's somebody that can is fluent in eight well, I think it's eight or more languages
2: wow
0: um he's I mean he's yeah he's quite um full-on with his languages um and I mean he's got a couple of PhDs in in the, the psychology and the science <laughs> just
2: a couple. yeah just a couple PhDs <laughs> yeah, it's like, just a couple
0: yeah he's like proper it's like I, I always appreciate my life because i just i just trip i just stumble along and trip over things and i bump into boffins and, and have a <laughs> pint with them you know so uh, <laughs> um but yeah he would he would often say to me that you don't understand how a culture thinks unless you can think in their language yeah um and i don't, oh, don't...
1: i agree with that so much yeah definitely yeah yeah i just think like i think as well um for me it's been really kind of eye opening because um you know I was born in in the uk um growing up with English as my first and only language mm-hmm. um and I think you know people like me are really blinded by that because you know English is the dominant language of the world and we we have that kind of entitlement whether you know we kind of want it or not that you know we go somewhere and we just expect people to speak english and and I always kind of hated that but was also aware that I was part of it Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we just I just don't think that we have an appreciation of how much language really shapes the culture that you live in and shapes the way that you think because you know it's just taken for granted that we use English so it's like the default like we don't even think Mm. That, you know, we're more likely to think that someone who speaks another language, you know, thinks differently because they speak that language and because they're from that culture. But we don't think that we have just as much culture and mm. as much influence over our language as they do kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I'll I'll concur with that. I mean, as I say, my friend, he, he, he really started to learn, you know, it's about the kind of the even the kind of indigenous roots of cultures. By just studying languages to such depth, um I mean he's, I mean one of the most passionate guys I've ever known. And I, I had another friend she was a, a she was a nurse here in, here in Bristol uh, in the Calgary department. she was a good uh, martial arts partner with me and she she was German, but she had fluent English. And I remember saying to her went, when you're angry, what voice is in your head? And she goes, yeah, i go German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, that kind of thing. So it's it's quite, um, yeah. you know, and it, it is that thing. It's, it's where your emotion is attached to. And, and I mean, and that's something I was going to ask you about uh, sign language, because my understanding with my colleague in our team is that, you, you know, you will, you may work with someone who's deaf and they've been deaf since birth and signing since they were a child. Mm-hmm. which effectively that makes signing their first language in, in English yes. and reading, uh, reading English their secondary language and maybe lip reading their secondary language. But then you may be working with people, you know, who, are, who were hearing and further down the line kind of, you know, became deaf. And then they're kind of coming into the culture later on. So when you're approaching, as, as someone who supports people going through those processes, you know, what kind of... Um, what kind of challenges come up for you, would you say, and what kind of solutions do you kind of meet with them?
1: Yeah, this is really interesting, actually. Um, deafness is so varied. Um, you know, there's so many different types of deafness. You can be hard of hearing. You can be hearing impaired. Um, you could be born deaf, but you could have some hearing. You know, there's different levels. I I, mm. I don't really know the medical terms, but there's profoundly deaf, which is I think what most people would think of as deaf, like you can't Mm. really hear anything. Um, Yeah, and then there's there's just all different levels. And it also, yeah, it so depends on where the person's grown up, like even someone who is profoundly deaf, like say they can't hear anything at all and they were born like that, but they didn't have access to education, so they don't sign. You know, there's people, Mm. I've met people like that or or, or people that haven't had access to any language. So, you know, they don't have like a learning disability, but because they haven't had that language acquisition, it's mm. really kind of stunted them psychologically. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting. Um, but yeah, I would say like that, yeah, there's a thing in the deaf community um, which is really interesting. And um, it's, I don't know if you've come across it, but it's, um, are you deaf with a big D or a small D?
0: Oh, I've not heard of that. It, yeah, it's interesting. it's interesting. So
1: the the deaf with a with a capital D um, means that um, you know your first language is probably BSL. Um, you've grown up all your life. You know you've had links to the deaf community. Maybe your family's deaf. Like you know, there's a few families in Bristol who mm. have had you know five or six generations, and they're all deaf and they all sign. Um, mm. And you know you're really active in that community. You have really strong kind of identity to the culture and the language um, or you could be deaf with a small d um, which could be maybe you were here in your whole life and you know english is your first language and then um, something happens um and you become deaf over time um, so you don't have that that link to the community um, you've had the privilege of um you know having access to english and um you know receiving information in in that way which which deaf people with a big d don't have mm. um so and there's kind of this tension between the two because um you know people looking on the outside they're both as deaf as each other
2: um mm. but
1: there's all the all the kind of culture and the, it's very political as well, I think because of the way that deaf people as a community have been treated by hearing people. Right. Okay. Um, it's they're very protective of that community and it can be quite an insular community. And I think just because they want to protect their heritage and their language so, so much, mm. um, but you know, there can be a bit of suspicion to someone who has lived their life and, and had all the privileges of being a hearing person mm. suddenly lose their hearing, which is which is awful as well. And I think that, obviously, that comes with, I would say, probably more challenges just from having to adjust from one to the other.
0: Yeah, and it's um, massive adjustment. And not, it?
1: and not having that access to the community altogether. Mm. I mean, obviously, there's pros and cons of both. But, um, you know, there can be that suspicion of like, oh, but you're not, really deaf or like well you are deaf but you know it's not it doesn't come from the same place um so it's really interesting to kind of like I mean
0: I mean I mean it is it can be a thing where individuals and, and this isn't just this isn't just this is a real general term that people can you know it's like have you struggled as much as me you know you know, and that's yeah. not, uh, that's not kind of focusing on any particular culture, but it's, it can be how much pain have you gone through? And I think that's something that we, we you know, we have to talk, I mean, I often talk about the compassionate response to everything. It's one of my favourite sayings. Um, and it's like, it, we, measuring struggle is, it can be helpful, but in my view, it can be a bit more, it can be a bit more detrimental because it creates like a competition um yeah and, i
2: agree You know I
0: agree. it's and, and i mean being typically british we do it you know being british we do it we're horrible for it um uh I, I, it's it's that thing it's like i mean it, it we, when we ask somebody how we're doing you know it's like how are you doing well not bad <laughs> so and it's like and the, people kind of have a conversation You say to somebody that you've got a bit of a sniffle, they'll have had a flu a week ago. (laughs) You know, it's like so. It's about it's this these kind of struggles that kind of um, impact us as we kind of go through life, and and that's going to impact every culture, and especially something as extreme as someone who's gone from. I mean, as you said there, it's like somebody who's been hearing, and then it's gone. You know, to be able to adapt to that. I mean, I, I mean, I just can't imagine what that must be like, and what kind of, su- yeah. I mean, I mean, I, 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 mean, I'm assuming that you support people through the, that process, um, you know, and, and, you know, how do you, what for want of a better phrase, maybe soften the blow and help them work through that? What kind of, t- what things would you do? To, what tools? I'd be really interesting to know.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think. I'm trying to think if I have supported anyone like that, I mostly um deal with people who, yeah, have been deaf their whole lives. I'm just trying to think. Mm. Um, but i think I think one thing with supporting any deaf person is is giving them that access to their community. Yeah. Um, especially in Bristol, because there is a very active deaf community in Bristol. Right.
2: Um,
1: and I think, you know, one of the social barriers of deafness is that isolation, mm. um, especially because uh, or especially if the deaf person is the only one in their family that's deaf. And I think that's that's more common. Mm. Um, so, you know, it can be and it is often very isolating. And so, you know, if they're already active in the community, that's great. But, um, yeah, just like bridging the gaps between them and and their community, and um, I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, and and I think it's. I mean, it's it's the clear thing. I mean, we've both got very similar jobs in that sense. You know, being caseworkers. Um, you know, uh, in different fields, but. You know, it's it is about as you say, linking people up, and by being there, and I think it's pulling in your experience to someone who's maybe new to that. You know, and, and knowing that they've got those services around them, and knowing that there's somebody to just approach, and to kind of soften the blow, as it were, one step at a time. You know, it's yeah, uh,
1: definitely. Um, and I think again, um, you know, the main thing with deafness. Because a lot of deaf people don't actually consider themselves to be disabled at all. No. Um, you know, they think, well, I'm just like any other person, I just can't hear. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: and it doesn't impact their ability to learn or their intelligence. No, not at all. Um So I think the, the biggest disabling thing about it is the lack of access to information, and the fact that you can't just walk into a shop and ask the shop assistant where the butter is you know Mm. um things that we take for granted every day and it's not like going on holiday because you're in your own country and you can't do that you know um so we really have no idea what that's like and so I think um it's kind of easy to think that deaf people not knowing things or not being aware of services that are available to them like it's easy to think that you know it's I don't know because they're stupid or you know whatever, but actually you know we underestimate the power of word of mouth and you know, just like walking down the street and overhearing people talking about a cafe that's doing free drinks today yeah. or you know what, whatever it is um, you know, they don't have that.
0: No and, and and I mean that's that's something that you know something that maybe doesn't fall into my consciousness. In respect to that culture um immediately because I'm, I'm not amongst it you know so but yeah it's that kind of thing it's like there is that kind of natural it's a kind of a in a sense it by not being able to hear things in the background that there, there, there's a it's a real natural ice the sense of natural isolation there mm-hmm. there's there's just like a missing factor of the universe yeah. which um, it's, interesting.
1: it's interesting like um I've been like, I was talking to um, my, well, he was my teacher, but I would say he's become my friend now because I've known him for um, five years and he's taught me BSL um, all the way through. And I asked him, um, what what is the thing that you love the most about being deaf? And he said, um, and his answer really surprised me and to this day, I'm still kind of like processing it. Um, he said, when I walk down the street, there's just peace and quiet. Because <laughs> he, he just hears nothing. And mm. he says, like, hearing people are so stressed all the time. You know, they're hearing their phone going off. And, you know, there's, like, crashing and banging. And people are shouting. And you can't hear other people. And you're in a pub and you're trying to have a conversation. And and he just, like, walks down the street. And he's, he's just at peace.
0: Zen-like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
0: I can... I have a there's a, a part of me there that's say, you know, because I, I live right in the city center. Um and it, it is and when I moved here and I thought, well, I will just get used to the, the sounds, it's fine. And I have got used to the sounds because effectively those sounds have now integrated themselves into my central nervous system. <laughs> so I've just got a low level state of hypervigilance and anxiety going on that I've kind of Drown out, you know. <laughs> and, and on on the flip side of that, when I go and visit, I've got a friend out in Wales, and they live in this log cabin in the middle of nowhere. And when you switch the light out in their house, you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's the yeah. and, it just, and it's just silent. It t- if I go and visit them, I it takes me about two days to get used to that level of silence. You know, mm. so it's um yeah. Yeah, it's
1: weird. Like I feel like. Yeah, do we ever hear complete silence? Mm. I remember like during the first lockdown where literally no one was on the street and like, it sounds really weird, but I remember thinking like what I can hear right now sounds like maybe 2005 to me. And it was because I couldn't hear anything. There were no cars on the road. So it's mm. completely quiet except for a plane flying over, and that was obviously really loud. And I, it just occurred to me, like, I don't hear that soundscape ever, like like a really loud plane and just nothing else. Like, I feel Mm. like, I don't know, in this city, Like, we don't, even now that it's sort of gone back to normal, we don't hear, like, you know, there's just, I feel like the sound of a plane, even though it's really loud, like everything else in the city that's going on just drowns it out. Mm. And it was so weird, like, like, yeah, it really took me back to, like, my childhood. Um, <laughs> like, actually just, like, I don't know, playing out in the garden and, like, there being no cars around and, like, just hearing a plane in the sky.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I think there's been places in the world that I've been. Um, I think one of the best places I've ever been was Mount Tady in Tenerife. And I did a walk around the big bowl, like a big valley, which the, the mountain actually sits in. And I think that was the quietest silence I've ever had. Wow. 3,000 three, 3, meters above sea level. I was sat above the clouds looking down on a forest and there was just nothing. Oh
2: it, it it was
0: it was it was so quiet, it made my heart pound harder. Ooh. You, you, you know, it's um yeah. Yeah, so it's um yeah, one of them, and you're really.
1: just alone with your thoughts.
0: Mm. You know, so 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 your teacher there, that you know he, it, there must be a state of Zen for him. If felt that, that's you know you know, and it, as you say, it, it isn't a disability. It's it's just a different way of living because of the tools that you've it got, is. and that's yeah, it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, and it it's the way that I mean, I suppose you know you could say this about anything, but I do think there's something in it that you know, it's, it's disabling because our world is not set up to support people who are deaf. Mm. Um, you know, we take for granted so much of how we communicate. And, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the way that language has evolved. But um, yeah, it's an interesting and I think it, it helps to think of it that way. Um, mm. Because it, it helps you realise that, you know, most deaf people who, you know, they have access to sign language, you know, they have happy lives and, yeah. you know, they don't want to be cured of this horrible thing that they have. They mm. just want access to communication and they want interpreters to be able to access services and, yeah, you know, that's, As, they that's all they want.
0: Yeah. As you say, the, the world isn't, society hasn't designed itself well enough to, yeah. uh, to, yeah. to provide that access um do you feel it's going in that direction? Do you feel that there's enough happening in the in the deaf culture that's moving those accessibility issues and dealing with those policy issues to make the world a bit better place for people that are experiencing deafness?
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting that you say that because um I think it was yesterday, uh, I don't know if you saw in the news but um they announced the result of a court case, uh, that a deaf woman, um, I can't remember her name now, but uh, on behalf of the deaf community, she um, took the government to court because they hadn't, um, the government in Westminster, they hadn't provided interpreters for Mm. Boris Johnson's uh, COVID briefings Mm. um, all throughout the pandemic. And I'm sure you've seen, you know the other governments the welsh government the scottish government yeah. you know they they put interpreters um in yeah, the next, room yeah uh,
2: next, next next with the person yeah yeah ma-
1: with the person making the briefing um and you know boris johnson refused to do that and he was aware of the issue because people had been complaining about it from the beginning saying you are isolating deaf people at a time which is so anxiety inducing for everyone nobody knows what's going on Mm. um and you're leaving people even more in the dark over an issue that could literally be solved by phoning up an interpreter agency and just asking somebody to come down and they Mm. were saying oh you know there's not enough room in the in the in the room where we do the briefings there's not enough room to have an extra person and we're limiting people in the room because of Covid but you know all the others managed it and also I'm pretty sure the building was purpose-built so it's clear that if that was true which it's not but if it was true then it shows that they didn't even take that into consideration Mm. that they might need an interpreter in the room and
0: and and who's to say I mean I think technology is pretty savvy and who's to say that the interpreter the the signer has to be in the room with them
1: Well this was the thing Um, a lot of people people say that um, and they so the BBC which is I think that was like where the uh, briefings were, that was what was the programme that they were showing them on Um, they have their own agency that provides, they call them InVision interpreters so that's where you see the interpreter in the corner of the TV screen so they're not in the room, they're not like in the program, but that it's just like superimposed mm. over the top, um, and they had that on certain BBC channels. Um, but you know, the the point was made that it's only on those specific channels, and if it's being shown elsewhere, it puts the onus on the the TV channel to provide the interpreter, not so that it's right. actually in the like in what's being filmed. Mm. Um, so they can't, they can't really rely on that. Um, whereas if you have an interpreter in the room, you know that regardless of whatever channel it's being posted on or wh- wherever it's being shared, yeah. you will be able to see the, that the interpreter's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, literally yesterday, um, the result of the court case came through and um, the judge decided that the government breached the Equality Act um, because it they, they considered it to be a reasonable adjustment well, um, yeah, They didn't do, and they were aware of the issue, uh, but they didn't, they chose to ignore it.
0: So I mean, that's a positive result, and it was just something that sprung to mind, and I mean, I don't want to get too caught down with uh, the kind of COVID thing, like, but, um, you know, with one of the things that, I, you know, because I've done a bit of reading on it, and one of the things that came up with, um, you know, mask wearing is the fact that lip reading kind of went out the window for people yeah. in the deaf culture. So... Yeah. You know, it would be quite a shock that, to find that you walk outside your front door and then everybody. you're kind of used to seeing people's faces because that's what you're focusing in on as someone who is deaf and then you've not seen them anymore. That must have been quite... A, I mean, that's a really steep culture shock. I mean, I wouldn't know how that would feel for someone who's deaf, but I'm imagining it. that must be awful. And then for the government to have to be taken to court to put a sign, sign language yeah. for the for the briefings in respect to that... You know, yeah. I mean, having the signer there would at least be a—it's it's, it, a—it's a token, it's an effort to say we know that you can't. There's actually what we've asked everybody else to do is impacting your community more.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, and I think uh, anyone who's deaf or has a disability, um, you know, they are going to be affected more mm. by things like COVID. Um, yeah, and it's and it's awful that a group that's already isolated. <laughs> Has become even more isolated over something so minor, as providing an interpreter.
0: It could be really easily done, couldn't it? Well, at least, at least it's a good result in court. So, do you? So, kind of just wrapping up on your passion for work. Do you see yourself doing this kind of thing long term? Do you find you see yourself becoming? Where do you see yourself going with it?
1: Yeah. um, Be careful now, because your
0: boss might listen to this.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's difficult I mean um I'm actually leaving my job um oh. in just over a month I think um yeah my contract's coming to an end mm-hmm. um and so yeah I have been thinking about what I want to do going forward I love sign language um I really love the deaf community um it's amazing I love the culture and so I want to keep um doing work in that in some respect mm. um I think I'd like to move away from support work. Well, I definitely would want to move away from support work. Um, I find it a lot of emotional responsibility to take on. Okay. Um, so I'm looking for something more kind of, I don't know, potentially something more in business, but still in the deaf community, which is quite hard to find. Mm. Um, it's quite a niche um so it is difficult but yeah potentially something in tv or um okay. i have been thinking about interpreting um pretty much since i started learning bsl okay um, and i think i think that is kind of the the natural career progression for someone who is hearing and you know loves bsl and loves the community yeah. um but i don't know i don't know whether i'd want to do that it's very um intense on your brain and there's a lot of pressure and it's very, um, obviously it's, it's, uh, it's time pressured. Um, yeah. Because, you know, you have to be translating live, often going, you know, from BSL to English and then back from English to BSL. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but we'll see. I might do yeah. it I might <laughs> not.
0: Well, It's, it's one, step, one step at a time and, you know, it's like, you going into like talking about support work being um yeah there's emotional emotional stuff to un- unpack with that kind of things and you know I've been I've been doing this kind of work now for 13 years-ish. Gosh.
2: Um
0: but I did have How to How did do,
2: you keep going? <laughs> well
0: saying that I i took two years out and worked yeah. in the cor- I worked in the corporate sector for a bit, worked for um uh, insurance claims and security work. Um just to kind of see how it was but then i kind of i gravitated back to doing kind of like this kind of uh welfare benefits advice stuff and that kind of gear because because i think what it is I, i mean for me i enjoy the engagement and also it gives me a platform to utilize the tools that i i love studying which is psychology and all that kind of stuff and well-being and engagement kind of stuff so so it's it's my job becomes a platform for what's in my heart you know um but don't get me wrong it's um i've been in other jobs where when i was a caseworker and you know it's like there. this has got a self-life i'm done and i've just walked out it's like (laughs) i think when when i took that two years i i I remember it was a four-year contract and i just went no, I've had enough now. <laughs> <laughs> I've had enough now. We ha- and, it, and it's important that we, I think that's one way we can build resilience in our souls. And and also it helps the rest of the world understand who we are. When we get to a point we can say with real assurity, these are my limits. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's I need definitely to...
1: definitely be- pushed me to my limits. I'll say that. <laughs> I did oh. I did have a scenario quite recently Um where I just I mean yeah I was put in a situation um supporting someone that I didn't know um and they're very vulnerable and I was on my own and I was out in the community so not even in in their house which I know to people who aren't in support work think that going to someone's house is would be really scary but I think actually supporting someone one-to-one out in the community is even worse because you just I mean anything could happen Mm. um and it was just awful and I I I do find it hard um to establish boundaries I think that is something that I'm not very good at but (laughs) because what had happened was so awful and I I was just so I was just put in an awful situation okay um that I was like actually um I am I am so not going to put myself in that situation again, that I'm willing to actually lose my job over it. And I, I knew that that wasn't going to happen, but I think just the fact that it had pushed me to my limits mm. so much that I was like, actually, if they tell me I have to go back there, I'm going to quit. but <laughs> that was like the first time where I was like, Do you know what? I'm actually ready to like take a stand. And obviously, you know, I explained what happened and they were so nice about it and it didn't come to that, but no.
2: No. Um, yes, it,
1: it does. It does test you. <laughs> it does test you.
0: It tests you, but I mean, what it tests you to, and I, and I think you've got a good point there. Is is something that I often say is that I've learned throughout my career is um, if you if you're hitting a, a wall and it's you're not getting anywhere with it and it's just too much. There's a saying. It's like you have to object to radical stupidity as early as possible because if you mm-hmm. don't, people just keep asking you to do it and do it and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a case of if you can say, no, I'm not doing that again. And again, it's that kind of saying, these are my limitations. Uh, and I, I I think something I said ages back was um, I, that's where you can find your alignment. When you're comfortable with saying to someone, that's not for me, that I'm not best placed to do this. You know, can you please, you know, let's explore together who can be able to do this or let's explore a way that we can maybe both do it together. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's yeah. an important thing, too. But yeah, but I mean I think um I can see you in um television. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see
0: you in television, definitely.
1: Oh well, maybe yeah. this is my way in podcasts, radio, TV Well, that's the it? thing. You know, it's like
0: um yeah, it's uh you can do video podcasts for the deaf community.
2: You know definitely. that you know that'd yeah. be
0: that'd be a thing, wouldn't it? It's uh yeah. so so like so well really good to hear about the passion of your work, but we've got other things to talk about. Oh no! Oh
2: God,
0: there's more. <laughs> there's more. Yeah, yeah. So we'd like uh, we was, before the um, before we kind of came on air, um, you know, our pre our preamble. Uh, we we asked you about current affairs, and it's a bit of a deep topical subject. Um, and we talked. You, you kind of brought up cancel culture. Um, mm. You know, so where where are you with that, Chloe? What's oh what's God. happening with where where, where, it, where does this come from with you? what's happening?
1: Wow, this is I think my biggest beef right now is cancel culture um, I just feel like any any current affairs topic I always end up just like coming back to cancel culture because I just think, I know it's like such a catch-all phrase, everybody kind of throws it around but um, I do think it is a real thing and it it's not just online but I think it's the, the way that people are starting to have conversations and I think that's why I really liked what you said about you know us doing this podcast having a natural open conversation Mm. Um, because I think too often nowadays like people get really scared to Mm. offend other people and obviously you know we have to be respectful we're all human Um, but at the same time I think it's it's really problematic to on principle kind of shut people down Mm. Um, and not give people the space to to express their views and um you know if you think what they say is so offensive like talk to them understand their perspective maybe they can understand yours and maybe you'll change their mind Mm. I don't think that that our society can move forward in a productive way if we're silencing people and policing people's ideas um yeah. I think the only way that we can progress is is through being honest with each other and and giving everyone the chance to just express themselves in whatever way they feel they need to mm. and go from there and meet people in the middle as well. I don't think there's enough of that. I think it's, I don't know, our culture is becoming very black and white and there's people on the right side of history and there's people on the wrong side of history yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, uh, what think, what do I think? Well, I mean, I, I've got lots of views on it. Um, but really, I think it's important to meet in the middle. Uh, and there's it, it was, it was a point you said there, it's like, you may be able to change somebody's mind. Um, and I think that's a fair enough point. But I think if we have that intention when we're having a debate or a conversation with somebody, that intention kind of comes out into the open. What I've I've found, especially over the past four years, cause I never actually got involved in politics at all um, until the, the whole kind of EU referendum affair. And the only reason I did that was because there was a mural of Boris Johnson and Donald Trump kissing on Stokes Croft.
2: And <laughs> I went, I'm not having that happening,
0: you know, it's like, um, so I'm gonna vote, you know? And I voted to remain and, and that didn't happen, you know? Um, but I think since then there has been, especially in the United Kingdom, there has been a black and you know a black and white kind of polarization happen, a left and right and all that kind of stuff, and and if we've got to the stage now where people are actually scared. They censor themselves because they want to be included and it, within within society. It's like, well, I can't offend people. I mean, offence is fairly. You know, subjective, really. Because I mean, I get offended by boy bands, yeah. but you know, they still exist. You know, <laughs>
2: you know so... shut them down, shut them all down, like, them. Them.
0: <laughs> C- Cancel boy bands. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, can't be bothered with them. They do me in. But, but I think <laughs> I think it is. So a key. Your
1: opinion. I don't, again, I don't agree with that opinion. But no, you're but... in charge, it, and you, I'm not going to force you to listen to a boy band if you don't want to. That's fine. No. <laughs>
2: So you're
0: not going to put it on me. Um, but I think um, there's a really um, a brilliant filmmaker called Dia Khan, uh, and she did a brilliant documentary. And she's Iranian. Yeah, she's she's Iranian, uh, and I think she's from the Netherlands though, but she's Iranian descent. So she she's got skin colour, and she went and spent months with members of the KK K, and she did a documentary about it
2: wow
0: um there's a brilliant interview with uh what i'll do is i'll put it in the show notes um with russell brand really good um interview with that mm. uh, and there was a thing that she i'm sure it was her that talked about rather than calling out people's if you don't agree with it because what people say well if you don't agree with something you have to call out racism and you have to call out these things mm-hmm. but what she says is like doing that creates a, a polarization yeah. you're kind of you're basically pointing the finger and saying somebody's wrong.
2: Yeah.
0: Um but what you can do is you can potentially call it in. And and I I've, I've actually started using that technique not just for kind of cancel culture stuff, but actually for people being really stressed out about something and all that kind of gear. But when you kind of call it in and say, I can see you've got quite a strong opinion about that. Can you can you tell me where that comes from? You know what what what's it about? You know, wh- where is it coming from? In your emotion, where's it coming from, you know, in your life, you know, where did you learn this, you know, in calling it in rather than saying you shouldn't be saying that that's out, well, that's out of line, you're, you're being this, or you're being that, that's just finger pointing and nobody likes that. Yeah, but, um, so, and I think what that can help us do rather than, and as you say, we may be able to change somebody's mind. I think what people really need is somebody to help them understand that they can be accepted for who they are
2: yeah
0: you know it's so if we can get that far with someone I think that's a good thing you know it's um I mean I think we can see it now in our culture at the minute there's a lot of you're selfish if you don't do this and if you don't do that you're selfish and all that kind of stuff there's all that kind of stuff going on and you know it's like it's okay well okay then if I if if I me personally for my decisions have been being selfish about something does that mean you can't be my friend
1: Mm. Oh, I hate that. That is something I hate. Like, like, you know, people don't even want to be associated with someone who said something offensive or, you know, it's like, I don't know. Oh, I found that you... Uh, Facebook friends with this person so I don't like you anymore because you like that person and they've said something horrible like 10 years ago
2: <laughs>
0: yeah it's, I mean I mean I'd, I've not been on. I've not done Facebook for years but I suppose that does happen and um, yeah it's uh I mean I do Twitter for a sins but I'm quite clever with it so what I don't, it's quite funny nowadays because twitter is just like loads of people shouting at each other all the time but if you yeah. put certain sa- i'm gonna
1: say you're brave for being on twitter
0: <laughs> but what i i you know i just i want to see how society is so what i do is there's a, a tool <laughs> called tweet deck where you can literally create columns of different hashtags so you can actually see what one side's saying about you know so you can see mm. what one part what's and it's like and find where the you know, where, where is the commonality in there? And one commonality that I've seen amongst it all, people are t- just terrified.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, people are really, really scared. And because they're really, really scared, and this I think this is Thich Nhat who's a a Buddhist teacher, who's one of the most famous in the world, uh, Buddhism teacher. Um, and I think he, it was him who coined the phrase, I could be wrong, um, but he coined the phrase, a frightened mind cannot love and, and a frightened mind cannot think, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's and it's like, so when we've got all those cortisol, those, those dopaminergic hits, because people are spending their life living in their phones now, which is yeah. creating into dopamine. And, you know, so what that will end up doing is it, it shuts down the amygdala. People can't rationalize, And it's like, I want to stay in my little world because it feels yeah, safer and, now.
1: Yeah. And it's preventing people from thinking for themselves because people are so scared to form an opinion that is different or that is critical mm. um that people kind of accept things without actually thinking about it critically and just assuming that because everyone thinks this then it must be right so I'm just going to go along with it and post about it mm. so that I'm kind of in the good group um mm. and yeah get myself out of the bad group
0: yeah yeah and but but and, and, and really, what that comes down to, if you actually layer that down to the, the bottom level, and um, there's a very famous uh, philosopher, Jiddu Krishnamurti, who is long time dead now, but I've been reading his works now and listening to his lectures for about well, I would say ten years, and and he talks about the people's fear of actually being alone. You know, throughout our history, people have you know we've had cultures, uh, religions, dogmas that have forced people to to do what they're told because it means that they are they, not alone. And people mm-hmm. and nowadays people are more and more people are, are actually afraid to be with their own thoughts in a lot of ways because we're just being mm-hmm. distracted so much because of the dopamine hits. So it's a case of I'd rather be included, um, yeah. rather be included in something than have to mm-hmm. be sat here in solitude with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and, it, and it does take, to be able to, hand to solitude, I always say solitude is a really good tool to understand your heart and be able to progress yourself, to put it outward, mm-hmm. you know? You can't express your heart. It's very difficult to express your heart and your soul when you're wanting to please people around you.
1: Yeah it's not genuine
0: yeah you know yeah. authenticity starts to dissolve and you know it's i think i think cancel culture is just a symptom of that it's a symptom of those fears you know it's um you know we could go into the practical stuff i mean i don't i mean it would be good to get your opinion what was your opinion on um the colston statue being dismantled what, what was your view on that oh
1: yeah that was an interesting one um what did i think about that um i i liked it um i thought it was it was interesting and i think i don't know it's yeah it, that, it's, it's a difficult one actually because um i'm glad that it's not up anymore um i thought it was an incredible act of protest um, and just, like, the whole way that it happened when they, like, rolled it into the river. Um, and I think, is it... Am I right in saying that they've now um, taken it out and it's in M-Shed? Then?
0: Yeah, it's in the M-Shed now. It's a historical piece. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, did they, did they leave? Because wasn't it graffitied?
0: Yeah, they well. left all the graffiti and stuff yeah,
1: on. Yeah, because that I was really pleased with how they handled that as well because I just... I think before they did that, I was like, oh, I really hope that they do that because it, you know, was a moment in history. Um, mm. And it, it kind of, yeah, it shows like the whole, the whole process of slavery and this awful history leading up to, you know, having this statue, I don't know how long it was up for, but for a long, long time. In it's Brisbane. been there,
0: it's been there a good few years, I know that. Yeah. could can tell you the full history of it like, but.
1: Um, yeah, like the whole kind of cycle to then having it down and then being in the river and then and then them lifting it out again. Um, but I also, you know, it is like vandalism. Mm. So at the same time, um, I think it's easy to kind of say that you support it because obviously, you know, we're all anti-racist and we all, you know, don't want this statue glorifying someone who is a slave trader in our city. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, it is very easy to kind of take that stance, um, because of the politics behind it. But at the same time, you know, it was, it was an act of vandalism. And, you know, like, I don't want anything being put up by the council to just be taken down by like, people who are angry about it mm. so it's ve- I think it's it's very hard I think it's very hard um I did I did really like it um ha- how it happened but at the same time yeah I'm kind of like well I wouldn't want that to become a normal thing and I think also it kind of happened when all the um Black Lives Matter stuff was coming out in the US and all the rioting and Mm. awful stuff and burning buildings and all of that so I yeah it's it's difficult I think and this is my thing is like it's not black and white oh, like, no. so
0: there's so much nuance I mean and, and that's I yeah. think that's, that's the issue isn't it it's like it seems that kind of mainstream media outlets and you know all that kind of stuff it's like they, they try and create this there's a polarization this black and white you're either this or you're that and there's no gray area the human condition is very gray you know, there's really grey areas in us all. I mean, I think for me, um, mm-hmm. when it comes to the cost, I mean, I remember when I moved to Bristol uh, and I lived in an Aikido dojo at the Temple uh, Temple Mead Station. It's, it's gone now, this big building I used to live in. But right across from it, where there's a Café Gusto now, there used to actually be the Bristol Slave Museum, um, which oh, was... Oh. so. And I, I remember going in there a, a few times and it was interesting to see what, you know, it really demonstrated um you know what bristol was part of and Mm. it's quite a dark history throughout the city beyond colston he was part of it but beyond it but most of the city was actually funded by it all really it was the industry of the time you know it's like it's the equivalent of slave slavery then is the same industry as big tech is now that's that's mm. the kind of money that you were thinking about. You think Clifton was built because of it? Everything, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah.
0: So you know, it was. And I, and part- I imagine
1: that's why um, the statue was erected in the yeah. first place because you know he was a wealthy mm. slave owner and he, yeah, he would have done a lot for the development of this city
0: of the community of the communities. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know how that went about. I didn't. I've not researched in history, but. But I think for the, for that event, I think factors that I put... I mean, yeah, you put in the factors of, like, the George Floyd thing happened and everything kind of came out of that with the Black Lives Matter issue. But the one thing that I said is, like, if you don't have the pubs open, if you don't have football stadiums open, doing the things that people do to let off steam, when things like this come along, it's going to... It's a bit of a powder keg,
2: mm, you know, and yeah.
0: so... I personally didn't agree with the kind of mob mentality. I, you know, back in my younger years when I was in my twenties and was living as a bit of a festival goer and living on the streets and stuff like that, um, I was involved in riots and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was exciting back then, because it was like, Power of the people, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But maybe I'm just getting too long in the tooth and it's mm-hmm. like I just don't like crowds. <laughs> but I, I thought that the way it was, because I remember before, I mean I remember last, I think it was pre-pandemic. I remember walking past that statue once. And I'd never really take paid it much attention. I didn't know it was there, but one night I was walking past it and I noticed that somebody had put all these kind of little wooden, kind of makeshift dolls round it, loads of them all in chains. And it was wow. like so, somebody had created an, an installation and they changed the plaque on it as well to talk about the, what he was representing. So they, so basically these little wooden kind of dolls in chains were re- representing the slaves and they, put, they changed the, the formal plaque into what he'd done and kind of give a little bit of history. And to me, that was like, if we'd have kept that installation and got rid of it properly, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But I think because there was just this powder keg you know mm-hmm. you lock people up with no outlet the only outlet they've got is twitter and facebook where everybody else is just as angry as they are people are in echo chambers of anger and upset yeah. and oppression because if people felt oppressed especially being locked up at the beginning of you know we were on, under house arrest for about two months from march last last year weren't we mm-hmm. so people were locked mm-hmm. up so there was like natural oppression emotional oppression on us so yeah. people are going to pop you know it, it, injustice you know and mm-hmm they can't and if you're unable to fight the injustice that's happening directly to you you're going to pop out at the injustice that's happening to someone else and and that kind of Mm -hmm. in my view that kind of came across the pond from the George Floyd incident and into into that into that realm where it it takes us now you know in a lot of ways it's it's rippled out into two factions doesn't it again you know you've got you know, you've got all the thing about the, the taking the knee issue and all that kind of stuff that's happening in football. You know, taking the knee represents um, kind of solidarity against racism, uh, which everybody wants to do. But then you've got people that connect that symbolization to the Black Lives Matter movement that apparently are connected to campaigns of defunding police force and all that kind of gear. So where do you stand with it all? And it's like, sometimes you, uh, for me, I just think, well, I'm just not going to get involved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just don't get involved in and, and trying. And, I mean, I'll, I would say, I mean, stamp out prejudice and oppression where you can, you know, mm. but do it with your soul and with your authenticity, I think. And it kind of goes back to what we're saying before about being part of a collective to be part of a collective, you know, because we'd be, you have to think we, Individually, people have been forced into isolation and spent time with themselves, and they might not like who they saw. So, as soon as they've got the chance to go out into a mob, into a gang, into a culture, poof, we're in there, you know. So yeah, that's definitely. how I see it, and I think we, it is about being patient with everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a hell of a thing that we're going through with the, the council can- culture, mm-hmm. but I just think you know.
1: Yeah, what do you think about? Because um, uh, recently in in Bristol. Um, there's been well the colston hall has now changed mm-hmm. to beacon something beacon. the
0: beacon the beacon,
1: beacon, the beacon hall yeah something like
0: that bristol Be- bristol beacon bristol, bristol
1: beacon that's the one See, yeah it's got such a it's got such a memorable name i can't even yeah bristol beacon um and i think there's been calls for you know the wills memorial building um which is named after the wills family who were also i think involved in slavery mm. um what do you think about changing the names of these buildings? Do you think that they should be kept or changed?
0: Well, I mean, my view is a name's a name, isn't it? You know, um, I mean, there's lots of different street names in Bristol that are named after different merchant ventures that were part of the slave trade. So are we going to kind of change all those names? And are we going to tell children at school that those people didn't exist? and that's the issue i think my right. view is we have to accept it. to know who we are as a human species history is important all the good and the bad and it is important to not if if we start cancelling out history um i think you've got a risk of creating I mean, somebody said to me, and this is an extreme opinion. I was having a bit of a debate with somebody the other day, but, uh, but it is a bit of an extreme view. But they said some of the cancel culture and some of this kind of thing, it's kind of going back to the days of, of the Puritans in a lot of ways. You know, it's we can't say these things and you can't mm. remember these bad events that had happened in our history. Yeah. You know, the human, the human species were a bit crap at everything. You know, we've, we've, you know, we've been stumbling across... We're
1: not doing so well so far, I don't you, think.
0: You know, it's like, you know, we, we keep inventing things that kind of make our situation worse, you know? So,
1: yeah, you <laughs> can't get it right. You
0: can't get it right, and it's like, we try to be industrious, but, you know, it's, you know, and, and what ends up happening, we end up forgetting to make lunch and having to go to Greg's, you know, it's like... <laughs> you know, it's like, but, you know, it's 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 those kind of things, and we, we I think we have to give it I think if we can give the species a break and just say, "Yeah, we're a bit crap at stuff. We're a bit rubbish." Yeah, um, yeah. And we well, The gonna... other
1: thing about cancel culture is that you have to be perfect all the time, and everything that you've ever said has mm. to be, you know. And it's judging people as well, like judging people for what they said ten years ago based on today's standards and today's mm. politics and, you yeah, know,
0: yeah. I mean,
1: that just doesn't make any sense. <laughs>
0: I know, I mean, I I was, I mean, in my younger years, you know, some of the comedy shows that were on TV and some of the films I used to watch with my family, you know, were hilarious. They would be, people would vomit at them now. You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, they're just just deemed as really offensive. You know, it's... um,
2: Yeah.
0: And I do do find that odd. It's, I mean, some of the, I mean, of course, some of those comedy shows haven't aged well at all. And it's like, right, okay. Um, But... You know it is a case of, yes, we have to develop, but I think if we're if we're trying to kind of have this perfect world when we know deep down it isn't, I think we're not we're not treating each other's soul with the right the right levels of compassion, and we'll be unable to call it in. And by doing that, you're forcing yourself into dogmatic practices where you're going to be, beholding to a to a collective that that will accept you as long as you say the right things and i think we have to be careful there i think that's a it's a hell of a place to be careful yeah interesting stuff though yeah, cool
1: i agree i agree yeah so
0: well that's cancel culture ticked off the box <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to something a bit lighter and would you, you give me the preamble before that you like being around water when you're outdoors Are you, do you swim or do you just like being around water what's what's all that about oh
1: yeah i don't i i have i have swam in the past mm. um i don't swim regularly i used to um but yeah yeah recently i've been walking um well i can't walk all the way to work cuz it's too far but i've been walking to the center and then getting mm. a bus um walking by the riverside and it's just it's just beautiful especially in the mornings it's so quiet mm. um, yeah, it's a bit of a funny one for me because I I don't actually, I I haven't really ever, you know, like I didn't grow up like near the beach or anything like that, but just recently I've been noticing on myself like I really like being around water. I just find it so peaceful.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's, a, there's certainly an energy around bodies of water, I find. I, I was brought up on the northeast coast of Scotland where the, 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 the coastline, the sea on the coastline, some days the colour of the sea would be like a dark purple. And it would wow. just, be, just be like a, just alive, you know, it's like a kind of like a monster, um, really rugged area <laughs> of the world. And it always made, made makes my heart kind of beat fast when I think of it and all that kind of stuff. I do miss it, but I miss that, but I don't miss the horizontal rain in the wind all the time. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean,
2: about.
0: yeah, so, so I mean, I think, and I'm with you, I mean, there's a, a couple of, um, I remember a couple of times, because I used to live in South Bristol, so my walk to work was down the quay and all that kind of stuff past the M shed, and then I remember there was a few pictures. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: And there was a few pictures I took on my mobile phone of the sun going down when I was on the on the bridge just going, going home. And, yeah, as mm. you say, it's just stunning views, and there is something quite... And I th- I th- it could be the thing that you know we're seventy percent water inside us, something, something like that. I think it's seventy percent. I was
1: thinking that. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about how, because um, when I when I wrote that to you about about the water, I I was thinking like why why and I feel like it's not just me. I feel like all humans we have this like innate kind of pull towards water. Mm. And then I was thinking, well, you know, we are like mostly water, and isn't the earth? The Earth's surface mostly water. Yeah, I think well. it's
0: like 80%, isn't it? Something like
1: yeah, that. Yeah. So like I was like, no, like, you know, it's no wonder because like we are actually like physically connected to it as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that I mean, there's a bit of I mean, I'll probably get fact checked for this, but this is <laughs> this is something that um so if we think that the the moon um, controls the tides of, a, of the world, don't mm-hmm. it So it's the magnetic moon that kind of moves the tides. Um, so there was you know there's um, there's hypothesis I'll just call it a hypothesis because then I won't get fact checked <laughs> <laughs> but there's hypothesis that when the moon is fat, when there is a full moon that that will pull on, that magnetic pole has an impact on the human condition and from because of that the so if we think of the word lunatic it comes from luna
2: oh yeah
0: so or, yeah so that's kind of where that word the etymology of that word comes from mm,
1: so it's, i never noticed that before
0: yeah so and we have to think about yeah i mean how much scientific evidence is based on that i've not i've not read any scientific studies on it but it has been stuff that I've read and heard on lectures before. But I, I do think it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting hypothesis to consider because I notice when the foot the moon is fat, I get a bit moody. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, yeah. I find
1: I've um, had a lot of a lot of people say that. I think I I tend to get sad around a full moon as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It does it does have an impact. So I think when we're and the other thing, I mean, if you look at kind of the evolutionary point of view, I mean, we came from the sea, didn't we, really? You know, we were little kind of creatures that came out of the sea, if that's if that's the evolutionary theory that we're looking at. You know, so there, there's a, a need to kind of think, well, that's where I'm from and that's part of me. So, yeah, I think being around water is a, a really good place to kind of ground yourself. When I was studying Tai Chi um, a number of years ago, near the flat where i used to live it had a little weir with a little jetty in fact if the if you look at the um branding of observed there's like a it's a a jetty called observed and that's the reason i chose it Um, because i used to go out onto this jetty and just watch the swans and the cranes out on the weir and then i would do tai chi and stuff and that i used to do i think i did that for three years and it was just really grounding and kind of just,
2: that sounds amazing yeah
0: it's um i, I you know it's it's, it's funny how what the world changes you and then you just stop doing things like that yeah it's weird how you just yeah. go that's been part of my life for a while and you stop but mm. yeah but i think being around the water is the key thing yeah so so um do you do anything else outdoors to keep yourself moving fit healthy or, is, or anything
1: else no um yeah, I, I'm, I'm sad to say that I'm actually really lazy. Um, I've been trying to kind of slowly get into exercise because I've been noticing recently um, as I'm getting older, I guess. Um, I don't know. I'm just noticing that I'm I'm not very fit at all. Um, and I keep saying that I need to get my act together, but I've got no excuse because I say it and I don't do anything about it. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I love playing tennis.
2: Oh, um, nice.
1: Um, I really really love tennis Um, I think with exercise for me the key is um, I need to not realize that I'm doing exercise while I'm doing it (laughs) so for Mm. me tennis is like a game I'm very competitive so I kind of see it as as a game and it's very social Mm. Um, and it just happens to be something where I have to move from A to B (laughs) Um, but I think I find it really hard like the thought of going to the gym or you know sometimes I sit down to do yoga but even then, and I enjoy it but even then it's like I kind of know that I'm doing it for Mm. the sake of trying to be fitter and I think for me like that is just not enough (laughs) I need to feel like I don't know you need to kind of get a
0: burn on as it were a little bit yeah I know you mean
1: yeah I need to essentially trick myself into (laughs) is what i'm saying (laughs) well
0: yeah it's i think i mean everybody has to meet it in their own way i mean i think some of the i mean i went from you know kind of extreme martial arts training um and tai chi and stuff like that then i went into calisthenic which is body step body weight uh stuff uh, kind of just using your body weight and a lot of running as well i've done a lot of running events um but the thing that i kind of landed on was um it's they call it, it's GMB fitness, and it's basically learning how to walk like a bear and a monkey and a frog. Ooh, that's
2: <laughs> and, interesting. Yeah,
0: and, uh, and basically, okay. just, and you don't, it doesn't have to be done loads. Um, I mean, I'll do a session in the morning where I just set a timer for 15 minutes and just move around, um, just kind of nice and loose, and then that's my morning session done. It's just really simple. Um, and then there's lots of somatic play games that you can do with, with partners and all that kind of stuff. Um,
1: wow, I'll, I've never heard of that before. That sounds yeah. very interesting. Yeah, well, what
0: I'll do, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, um, and um, I'll have to remi- remind myself, so I'll, put a, I'll note that down. GMB Fit mm-hmm. show notes. <laughs> yeah, I'll put it
1: Maybe in
0: the show. Maybe that's my next thing. Well, I mean, I got into. it. <laughs> I got into it years ago when i because i was i was studying russian martial arts which is very kind of somatic and flowy um and but they kind of gave they use the same type of movement principles but i just thought oh that's really good and it, they give a bit more of a structure and also their attitude is what are you training for and that's a really good question to ask anybody um because for me I'm training, so when I'm eighty year old, I'll be able to do a squat. I'll be able to fall to the ground and get up again, and I'll be able to walk upstairs without being in pain. You know, that's all I need to be able to do when I'm eighty. You know, it's like I'm not training. I did go.
2: Yeah, it's a good goal.
0: goal to be. It's like I want to be fully yeah. mobile when I'm in my eighties. That's all I'm asking for. Um, so yeah, that's yeah, kind of where I I'm at now. Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at with that. But um,
2: nice, nice.
0: But um, yeah, so that's that kind of movement stuff. And I do find it just helps open the body up a bit more. And I remember when I was learning Russian martial arts, it was a case of don't, um, if your workout is leaving you broken, you're not actually doing yourself any favours if you're doing that all the time. You Basically, you're mm-hmm. filling your m- blood and your muscles up with cortisol. Um, it feels great afterwards, but then you wake up in pain the day after because you're all achy. What you need to feel is kind of exercise, but refreshed at the end of something is the key thing. So, yeah, so that's that's the main thing there. But um, I'm going to yeah, go on. Definitely.
1: To- I do, I do recognise it. Oh, yeah, no. No, on. We, we've been talking for ages already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we are, I'm just checking time. Are you OK for time? Yeah. You all
2: right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, cool. Cool. As long as you're not in a rush then, that's fine. Um, I so um, I was good when you you told me about one of your um, hobbies of tarot cards and that really piqued my interest because yeah. um, I've got a bit of experience with them as well. So yeah. So.
1: Oh, I. Do you know what I put that in there because I was like, I bet Carl knows about tarot and <laughs> in tarot. So yeah, I feel like this is going to be something that we bond over for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so what brought you? What brought tarot cards into your into your conscious space, as it were?
1: Um. God, I'm trying to think. Um, I actually think it was my friend. Um, Beth, she, I think, we were, I think we were at a museum and we were in the gift shop and she found this tarot set that she really liked and she didn't buy it. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna make a mental note and get it for her birthday, um, which I did. And then I think she did a reading on me and we, we had a, a group of us together and she did a couple of readings and I was just like, oh my God, this is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I got myself a set And I found this podcast that I really like um, called Easy Tarot Lessons, And they do um, an episode per card and they go in depth and they talk about the card and what it means to them. And um, yeah, I just I just love it. I love like the the creativity of it and the kind of storytelling. Mm. Um, I don't really use them for like predicting the future or anything no. like that i think it, that's kind of like the stereotype isn't it of like mm. the weird woman in the tent with the crystal ball who's going to yeah, like yeah. tell you what day you're going to die and <laughs> all the rest of it um but for me i i just find it like i guess you call it like a a mindfulness exercise but i don't know i think it, i think it's a great tool for like sitting down with yourself if you're struggling, or if you've got a decision to make, and you don't know how you feel about something. Um, I just think, you know, you're gonna see what you already know, but mm. maybe on a more kind of subconscious level. Um, mm. Because I, I just think, like, that's that's the funny thing, and I think that's why people kind of are suspicious of it, because they think, oh, you know, it's, it's all bullshit and whatever. Um, but I, I, do, I kind of agree with it in, in the sense that, you know, you're not gonna see your entire life in a reading. Yeah. You're only gonna see what you want to see. And mm. that's why like people don't really buy it. But I think that that's why it's so great because, you know, we don't always understand our thoughts and understand our feelings and mm. using tarot to do a reading Like, sometimes I do it myself where I'll ask like a yes or no question. (laughs) So I'll be like, I don't know, just a a, um, trivial example. But like, you know, do I really want to go to this party tonight? And Mm -hmm. then I'll turn the card over. And if it's like, a, an obviously positive card but deep down i really don't want to go i'm going to be like oh that bird in the corner looks a bit suspicious like <laughs>
2: mm,
1: yeah no i'm not going to go and then i'll be like well actually that was a really positive card so i i, I never wanted to go but i was just kidding myself you know that kind yeah, of thing. yeah
2: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> well that, that's the thing is so you've you, you you kind of in a sense you're kind of calling yourself out with those kind of tactics aren't you <laughs>
2: yeah, so I don't really yeah like, pretty right, much right.
0: You know, it's. Um, but I think um, tarot. Really, I mean, so when I was a bit of a crusty traveller, homeless person, years back, I had a really good friend called Dylan. Um, he was absolutely off his head. He was <laughs> mad as a box of frogs. But I loved him. Really. He was like a brother. And um, we were a right, right pair. And um, he was really in t- I mean, he studied tarot cards and runestones a lot you know i mean he was fairly obsessed with it and when mm-hmm. we used to go to festivals he would actually charge people for readings and stuff Oh well,
2: right was he any he, good
0: well he was really good but the thing yeah. is he, he was a showman as well and he you know and he, he could tell a story and it, he'd get you right into it and all that kind of stuff He was really good and, and he with rune stones i mean i was a big fan of the rune stones viking runes and he would you know, we would be kind of set about doing nothing. It's like, oh, let's do. A- I'll do a rune stone for you, Carl. I'll do rune stone, and I think for like the, f- the first ten rune stone readings he ever did for me, the same stone kept coming out every time. It was the oh. um, so it was the spiritual warrior stone, which is a Um and. He was like, "See, that's that's your destiny, Carl. That's who you are. That's what, it, and that was it." And you, and of course, I was like nineteen at the time, and it's like I just believed it, <laughs> you know. And I mean, it, had, it kind of stuck with me because I've actually got it tattooed on my arm. You know, at the age of twenty-one, I think wow, I got it tattooed please, on my there arm.
2: You, go. you know, so it's.
0: Um, but I think I, I really concur with what you're saying there. Of um, it's not about predicting the future; it's something that helps us um, interpret and articulate our emotion inside i mean um not only have you got runestones you've got the the chinese um i ching have you heard of the i ching before um so that's where they use hexagrams like so it's like coins and you throw the coins and it's like they all go if it's heads tails heads tails then you kind of create like a you end up kind of you go Line gap line and then so and then you'll do it ten times or something and then it'll create a random symbol and then that random hmm. symbol has a an interpretation in a big thick book in the I Ching wow. yeah yeah so that's really and the the permutations of the I Ching are just endless it's you know with I mean with uh with the tarot pack I mean I can't how many cards are in the tarot pack there put you on the spot seventy six and you've got two you've got the major and minor arcana's aren't you as well yeah, yeah, that's the one. So yeah, but I think I think all those tools are really useful to help us help us create another voice in our head. Because sometimes it's only our own or it's just the external noise of the world. So I think about those moments of groundingness when you're sat there and you're like looking at the card and you're how does that story interpret to my situation now? And what mm-hmm. answer can it give me? I think is really important. Um, I mean, I was I was wondering then. Um, Do you have a favourite card or a couple of favourite cards?
1: Oh, yes, I do. Um, Yeah, I do. I have a lot that I like. Um, I think the one that is like coming to my mind, which I always say that I am this card, is um, the Queen of Cups. All right. okay. Um, Because, again, with the water, um, she's like surrounded by water. Um, and I'm also a Cancer, so I'm a water sign as well. Oh, okay. Um, I, well, I just like always like related to the cup cards. Um, Cause you know, they're about emotions um, mm. and feelings. Um, and yeah, so I kind of always related to, to the cups um, and you know, she's the queen of the cups. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just like really relate to that card. Um, and it, it always, like, seems to come up at good times. Um, I'm trying to think what other car I, I love... I pretty much love all of the cards in the major arcana. Yeah, um, there's
0: a lot of stories in there, isn't there?
1: Yeah, yeah. I just think that... I, I really... I think um, I find it a lot easier to um, do readings, especially if I'm doing readings for other people, which I don't do very often... Mm -hmm. Um, but if I do I I just my my deck as well it always gives me major arcana cards as well just because I love them they just always come up I think like most most readings I do I do three card readings and I would say like pretty much every time at least two out of the three will be major arcanas oh there's my buzzer I better go get that (laughs) one second
0: I'll pause so you answered the door then. Where were we with the taros? <laughs> what were we saying again? Oh, we were talking yeah. about your, um, uh, what do you call it? Your your favourite um, arcanas and all that kind of stuff. So it was the queen of cards. Yeah, C- I, just,
1: I just always get major arcana cards and I, I, just, re- I just relate to them so much easier um, because each one is a person, um, I think. Actually, some of them aren't, but most of them are centered around a person um, and I just find that a lot more relatable and it's, it's easier for me to be creative mm. um, when you're looking at those cards whereas for example like I don't know like all the rest of them are like the four of wands or like yeah. three of swords and it's like you know you've got three swords like what are you going to do with that actually the three of swords is, is quite an intense card so that's a bad example um, <laughs> okay. but you know what I mean it's a lot easier to relate for me anyway. Mm. Um, to cards that have more of a kind of story that's relating to people.
0: Um, Mm. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you there. I mean, just kind of thinking back, and I did, I will admit, uh, with you telling me about tarot cards, I did research a little bit of my two favourite cards um, from from the major arcana. So my first one is The Fool, The Story of the Fool.
1: Yes, I love The Fool. Yeah, and
0: I just liked... (laughs) because there's one of the, one of my favorite uh, phrases is the willingness to be a fool is a precursor to transformation um and i and, and I, I think that's kind of what i have just that's how i've got anywhere in the world is just just go in and get it wrong uh, and yeah. if people are, if people notice that you're not scared of getting it wrong then they'll actually feel safer around you it's it's a, it's a, it's a crazy thing when i used to teach um Remember when I was learning how to be a, an Aikido instructor, mm-hmm. um, and the, my my senior instructor says you're going to teach the kids classes, and I'm like, mm. uh, <laughs> and it was a big class, we had forty <laughs> children to train over, like to teach over three hours. Um, oh my God. Um, And at the beginning, I was absolutely terrified, but then I realised once. The, the, once the kids were used to me falling over and not getting it right and me laughing at myself about it and not taking it seriously and being a bit of a clown about it, you know they would enjoy it and you know they kind of knew where they were with me. They felt safe and its and it's like and that's how I, that's how I approach my work with I mean in my job with the welfare rights advice. I mean it's incredibly complicated and unbelievably boring. You know, it's like so. It is. I mean, welfare rights law for me is really boring. You know, it's like other. Oh, uh, my colleagues are. Re, they're really into it, but I'll read it and I find the practical solutions. But I find the, the regs a bit dull. Um, but it is a case of just being. Being being with somebody and saying, Well, I don't I don't know these things. I'm gonna be a bit of a fool about it. Let's look at what practical things we can do together and let's see what other resources we can pull in. Because one of the things in the fool's card, which I thought was really interesting, is that he has he's got the little bindle on his on his backpack, and he? he's little and what that represents is how little he carries. Because he's going in, he doesn't know what he's going into, so why take the world with him? Mm. You know, it's like, take what you need, have an empty boat, as it were. And I think that's really important, because if you are carrying too much in, a, in your life, mm. um, whether it's material, emotional, or, or even physical, you know, weight, you know, it's, it's difficult to kind of move forward freely. And I think the fool card represents that. It, it, it allows you to kind of move forward freely. So that's one of my other one of my favourite cards.
1: Yeah, I love the fool. I love mm. the fool card as well. Yeah, I think it's um it's kind of sad in a way that it's called the fool because it makes him sound foolish, mm. um but actually he's got a lot of courage. Um, mm. And yeah, like the, having like the tiny knapsack is like, yeah, I'm going to leave my baggage behind. Um, And like in the car, like he looks very confident. Um, And he's got his like chest open. Like he's open to new possibilities, new ideas. And yeah, yeah, love that.
0: Speaking speaking the soul forward and being able to be ready with it. You know, it's, um, Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the key thing. I think my other the other card that always sprung to mind, I think it it I, it related to me because it wasn't a card that I've had pulled on a on a, a reading, but the image of it was in my runestone book that I had. And it's the Hanged Man, the Upside Down Man. Oh
2: yeah.
0: Um, yeah. and that image is actually on a poem called The Warrior's Creed. That I I don't know if I'll be able to find that page and book again, but and it is a case of the the guy hanging by a foot from his tree. But the, the image that I remember is he's got his, one of his fingers is actually in the water as well, rather than his hands being behind his back. And but the point of that that card, I think it represents. I'm putting myself in a difficult situation to be comfortable with it. You know, it's not that you're forced to be there. It's about being being happy, being comfortable with uncomfortable situations is actually quite a good skill, you know. It's um, being comfortable with struggle is a good skill, you know, and and I think for me that relates back to the fool a little bit because, as I said, it's like, you know, I think I find welfare rights regulations books really boring because they're incredibly complicated and I struggle with incredibly complicated bits of text, you know. (laughs) It's like, so it is a case of, you know, but I'll put myself in there and find my way through it And, you know, use the resources around me to help me understand it better. And Mm. two minds are always better than one. But I think, yeah, I think finding, finding places where you can struggle but be comfortable with it and be comfortable that you've got those limitations. And I think that circles back to what we said earlier on, you know, it's like knowing those limitations. Yeah, that's Mm. a cool thing. But um, yeah, tarot cards, it's all fun and games, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I definitely approve. Those are two great, great cards to have as your favorites. Yeah.
0: That, I mean, I, I, I really rate them. Um, you might have to, you, you, one day you might have to do a reading for me. Yeah.
2: absolutely. That'll be, a cha-
0: that'll be a challenge. <laughs> well, uh, so Chloe, I mean, I think but we've got to say we've been chatting a while now, but let's say we've got five more minutes. Um, and one thing I did put down on my kind of running order was hassle the host. So, and I did say, if you, if you've got any questions, you know, that you think, you want to bounce off me? Because I've been asking you all the questions. So is there anything you need yeah, to add? Yeah,
1: I know. I mean, I feel like I feel like we've had a really good chat. Um, I think I've been asking all the questions that I had along the way. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely made me want to um, do more tarot for other people. Yeah, um, cool. I do get a bit shy because I feel like there's extra pressure when it's like, not just me in my room on my floor yeah. <laughs> um yeah, yeah. but yeah I think that would be a a good discussion that we'd have
0: yeah that'd be cool yeah, yeah. it be well I think we'll call it a, a good podcast there just now um brilliant talking with you thanks for the chat and yeah will...
1: thank you it was great
0: yeah hopefully we maybe do it again soon okay
1: yeah, sounds good
0: cool Thanks for joining us in the Observed podcast. You can subscribe by going to observed.substack.com. Hope you can join us next time. Welcome to the Observed podcast. Today I'm having a chinwag with my manager and mentor, Ollie. Ollie. We have a real deep dive around issues of poverty, education, government structures, the whole shebang, effectively trying to put the world to rights, and hopefully one day succeeding. Enjoy the podcast, and we'll see you on the other side.